0: Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Wenton, California. Philippians chapter 1. We're looking at the first verse. The Apostle Paul writes, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus in Christ Jesus. May I ask you this morning, are you in Christ Jesus? Do you have a personal relationship with God through His Son Jesus Christ? Are you indeed a genuine Christian in the Lord? We're not going to talk about that today We'll talk about that next week. This morning, I want us to talk simply about one word, saints. I want to focus our attention this morning on the word saints, because that's what the Apostle Paul states here in this first verse. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ to all the saints. The Word of God is for every person, in every place, in every generation. It is God's letter to each one of us and to all of us. It's not intended just for the ancient Jewish commonwealth, nor is it just for the Christians of the first century church. God's Word is for the ages. It is for the ages, for the Jew and for the Gentile, for the saved and the unsaved, for the aged and the old in every generation. The Word of God is for you. It's for me and it is for everyone that we may be able to approach and touch with the truth of his word and I stress that because what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians nineteen hundred and sixty years ago is as important for us today as it was for them in their day just as important What the Lord Jesus Christ had to say to the Philippian Christians in the first century, he has to say to the Winton Christians in the 21st century. And to all Christians wherever the name of Jesus is named in this generation. This letter is important. It is vital. Now as I stated at the very beginning of our study, This is Paul's ode to joy. This is his song of delight in Jesus Christ. Jesus is his heart. Jesus is his life. And Jesus is the theme of this letter that he wrote to the Philippians while he was imprisoned in Rome. And even though he was in prison, he was in shackles and some of his companions were also imprisoned with him, he rejoiced in the Lord. Circumstances didn't make him happy, situation he wasn't too keen on, but it did not affect his joy. It did not prevent him from rejoicing in the Lord. And I I submit to you this morning, dear friends, that that is a constant in Scripture. It is a constant not only in scripture, it, is, it, is, it ought to be a constant in, in your life and in my life as Christians in the days that we're living in today. Jesus, in John chapter 16, verses 20 through, 22 through 24, Jesus said to his disciples as he announced to them that he was going to Jerusalem to die, he said to them, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take away from you whatever you ask in the father whatever you ask the father in my name he will give to you until now you have asked nothing in my name ask and you will receive that your joy may be full The Apostle John wrote in 1 John chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. The Apostle James, our Lord's half-brother, wrote in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, My brethren, count it all joy... When you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. We face trials and temptations in life, and we're not happy about that. But let your joy, he says, let your joy be made manifest in the midst of your trials and temptations. Count it joy when you have to face these because they've come into your life for a purpose they've come into your life for a divine reason Peter says again in first Peter chapter 4 verses 12 and 13 beloved do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials which are trying you as though some strange thing happened to you but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. And I can say that about the days that we're living in today. When Peter says, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Friends, what we're going through is not strange. What we're going through is not unique. From the very beginning of human existence in the earth, people have been facing the same trials and temptations and frustrations and and things that anger them and cause them to be resentful. They've been experiencing this down through the ages. This is nothing. But Solomon, King Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. So my friends, I, I encourage us. As Paul encouraged the Philippian Christians, face the trials and the temptations as you must face them, but with joy because your relationship to Jesus Christ cannot, should not be affected by the circumstances of your life and that's important for us to remember but i also want to astre- i also want to stress the importance of every part of the word of god every part of the word of god if all scripture is given by inspiration of god and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for for correction for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If that is true, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. If that is true, then every part of scripture is necessary for our consideration. Old Testament and New Testament, yes. The Gospels as well as the letters, yes. The law as well as the writings, yes. The whole counsel of God is profitable for the Christian as the entire corpus of God's thoughts and God's will and God's desires for us. And yet every single part of it is equally important for the Christian. Every part of it. Paul's greeting to the Philippians is filled with important and vital information. And to treat his salutation, his greeting, as simply cursory, is to miss the full measure of the spiritual truth that he wishes to convey to us. Paul does not write this letter to the Philippians with a salutation that is common among all of us. You know, hi, how you doing? And we really don't want to know. Or what's up? And we really don't care. Every word of the salutation is of benefit to the serious student of the word of God. And so let's begin again in Philippians chapter 1 verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. And as we considered it last Sunday, there is joy in partnership in Christian ministry. There is joy in serving the Lord in his kingdom. Our joy and our greatest joy is in knowing Jesus Christ as our personal lord and savior i didn't say knowing about jesus christ i said knowing jesus christ as personal lord and savior and yet there's another cause for joy in this salutation because paul continues on to say to all the saints in christ jesus that's it six words to all the saints in christ jesus But we're only going to focus on three, and specifically, one, saints. Now again, I want to stress, Christian joy is rooted in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Christian joy is rooted in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. To all the saints in Christ Jesus. Now, the Orthodox Church has done a great disservice to biblical theology, to Christian faith, and to the Christian Church by having us believe that a saint is a person of exceptional holiness. Virtue and compassion in life. It would also have us to believe that you can only be a saint if you're dead. This is unbiblical. It is absurd. And it's spiritually reprehensible and irresponsible paul wrote letters to saints who were alive to receive his letters paul and timothy bond servants of jesus christ to all the saints in christ jesus dead people don't receive letters they don't read letters and they don't gain any insight from letters that are written to them dead people are dead Paul is writing to living beings, living people. They were imperfect Christians, just like you are, just like I am. And they existed together in an imperfect church, just like we do. And yet he called them saints in Christ Jesus. Which leads me to believe that a saint is something more than what the Orthodox Church says a saint is. Would you agree with me at that? It has to be. So we have to ask the question, well then, what is a saint? When Paul calls these Philippian Christians saints, what does he mean by that term? Well, a saint is a Christian. But... A saint is not someone who says he's a Christian. A saint is someone who truly is a Christian. And there is a big difference. And I emphasize this because of three very important realities. There there are others, but I just want to focus in on three this morning. And I really don't have time to, to delve into all three of them as I would want to, but I'll give you uh, what I think we need to understand and hear this morning. There are th- three realities, I believe, that are involved in what Paul means when he calls these Philippian Christians saints. First of all, a saint is a holy person. Second, a saint is a righteous person. Third, a saint is a faithful person. A holy person, a righteous person, a faithful person. And so let's kind of get into this uh, as quickly as we can. A saint is a holy person. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2, the Apostle Paul writes to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified. The Greek word is Hagiatso, and it means those who are made holy. Hagiazo, those who are made holy. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be Saints. Hagios, holy ones. A saint is a holy person. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints, Hagios, to the holy ones who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. We'll get to that one later on. Philippians chapter 1 verse 1, we've read that a couple of times already. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ to all of the saints. Hagios, to the holy ones in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 12, uh, excuse me, and verse 2, to the saints, the holy ones and the faithful brethren in Christ Jesus who are in Colossae. I could go on, but that's sufficient. A saint is a holy person. But what does that mean? The word hagios means to be, first of all, it means to be set apart. It means to be separated from and separated to. It means to be set apart. There are two aspects to holiness. The first one is inward and internal. The second one is outward and external. And there are three dynamics to being set apart externally. I don't want you to get confused on all this. That's why I wrote it down in your sermon notes, in your bulletin for you to refer to there are two aspects of holiness and by the way there are also two aspects of righteousness and there are also two aspects of faithfulness the two aspects are inward and internal the second aspect is external and outward but in our external consideration of external holiness there are three dynamics we are set apart by someone We are set apart from something, and we're set apart for something else. We're set apart by someone, we're set apart from something, and we're set apart for something else. So a saint is a holy person, a person who's set apart and separated by someone. By who? well I want you to understand scripturally speaking a saint is not a holy person because the church says so a Christian is not a Christian because a person says so a saint is a holy person and a Christian is a true Christian because God says so because God says so In John chapter 1 verses 12 and 13, take a look at that passage if you will. Keep your thumb there in Philippians uh, and go to John chapter 1 verses 12 and 13. In this great prologue to John's gospel, the apostle takes us all the way back to the beginning of the gospel, which was in eternity past. Because the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ did not begin with creation. He has existed with the Father forever in eternity past. So if we want to understand the beginning of the gospel, we have to go all the way back before the beginning. And we have to understand the Christ, the second person of the Holy Trinity. The second person of the divine Godhead. We have to come to terms with who this Christ is. And so John begins his gospel by taking us all the way back to even before the beginning. But he writes to us in verses 12 and 13. As many as received him. Now this is contingent upon verse 11. When Christ came to his own but his own received him not. He came incarnate in human flesh, to his own people, to the Jews, to bring them salvation. But they rejected him. He came to his own, but his own received him not. Verse 12, But as to many, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, or become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Now notice this. Who were born not of blood, or bloods, in the Greek which is a reference to one's heritage one's lineage you're not born into the kingdom of God you're not a child of God because of your heritage or your lineage nor of the will of the flesh personal desire you're not a child of God because you want to be you long to be you just gotta be Then nor of the will of man, the desire of others. You're not a child of God because mom and daddy want you to be. You're not a child of God because your brother or sister wants you to be. He goes on to say, not of bloods, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, what? But of God. If you are a Christian, understand dear friend, it is God who through His Holy Spirit has drawn you to Jesus Christ and has saved you because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God is the one who has made us holy. God is the one who calls us saints. God is the one who calls us Christian. There are a lot of people who call themselves Christians who have a cotton-picking idea as to what a Christian really is. Jesus said to Nicodemus in chapter 3 verse 5 and 6 of this same gospel of John, he said to Nicodemus, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You are not a child of God according to the flesh. You are a child of God according to the spirit of God, according to Jesus Christ who died on the cross to save you, according to God the Father who through His Son drew you out of your sin and brought you into salvation. We do not set ourselves apart to God, God sets us apart Himself, for Himself. Romans chapter 8 and verse 16, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So you're not a saint because the church canonized you long after you've died. You're not a saint because I call you're not a Christian because I call you a Christian or because anyone else calls you a Christian. You're a saint. You're a holy one. You are a follower of Jesus Christ because God says so. Well, what's the second dynamic? We're set apart by God. We're set apart from what? Turn to First Peter chapter two. First Peter chapter two. Way over close to the end of your New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at verses 9 and 10. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 9 and 10. Saints in Christ Jesus are chosen by God's Holy Spirit from the generations, the word is genos, it means families, from the generations of the world, from the families of the world the Holy Spirit has chosen you, from the palaces and from the parishes from the nations, the word is ethnos, from the various races and tribes and cultures and peoples of the earth. And he has separated us by the power of his Holy Spirit. He has separated us from the darkness, from the darkness, skatos. It means from the ignorance of sin and misery and death in this world. God has done this. He has separated us. And he has separated us from these things. These hellish things, these evil things, these wicked things, these damning things, these destructive things. For what purpose? For what purpose has he called us? For what purpose has he drawn us? For what purpose has he separated us from these things? We are separated, we are set apart for His good pleasure. We are separated so that we might be pleasing in His sight. The Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians, wrote in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 that we are His workmanship. We are God's workmanship, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are his workmanship, his poema, his beautiful creation. His inspiration. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Jesus said... In the Sermon on the Mount, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And you're set upon a hill that men may see your good works and glorify the Lord who is in heaven. Saints are people set apart by God from the evil of the world for God's kingdom and God's good purpose we are in Christ Jesus the children of God we are members of his family we are citizens of his kingdom we are a royal priesthood to his people we are a holy nation among the nations of the earth we are to show forth his glory and his grace and his salvation through Jesus Christ that's the external aspect of holiness, but there is also an internal aspect of holiness. A saint is also an individual who's been cleansed and purified inside. The word holy, hageos, it means to be set apart from all others. That's the external aspect. But the internal aspect of being holy is to be purified katharos is the original word from which we get the word catharsis it refers to the cleansing of sin of evil of wicked thoughts and desires motives and attitudes and affections to be cleansed from all of those things that's what it means to be holy A saint is someone who has been cleansed from the pollution of the world that affects him in mind, in spirit, and in heart. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart. That's internal. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. First Timothy chapter 1 verses 3 through 6, the Apostle Paul wrote, I urge you, Paul speaking to Timothy, I urge you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in the faith. Now the purpose for this commandment, the reason I told you this, Timothy, The purpose of this commandment is love from a pure heart. That's internal. It is love from a pure heart and from a good conscience. That's internal. And from a sincere faith. That's internal. From which some, Paul said, have strayed, have turned away. He writes again in a second letter to Timothy, Flee youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And to Titus, Paul wrote in chapter 1 verse 15, To the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled so there is an internal aspect to holiness as well as an external aspect to holiness the external is to be set apart from the peoples of the world the things of the world internally it is to be cleansed and to be purified by God a true Christian and you may very well say well you know (laughs) that's a tough deal that's a hard thing to do to keep all of the the stimuli, all of the the pictures and the words and the songs and all of this junk that is in our world, it's hard for us to not be affected by that. And I agree with you. It's not an easy thing. But Paul doesn't say it's an impossible thing. It is something that we need to continue to strive to achieve in our lives. And that's why he told Timothy, flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness so for a true Christian keeping yourself from being polluted by the things of the world by the lust of the eyes the lust of the flesh and the arrogance and the pride of life is not an easy thing to do it is difficult but it is not impossible because you are holy in Christ Jesus. You're not holy in your flesh. You are holy in Christ Jesus. So a saint is holy, separated and set apart from those things of the world that he might please God. A saint is cleansed and purified by Jesus Christ that he might be holy, w-h-o-l-l-y that is all of him, mind, body, soul, spirit that he might be wholly acceptable to God and made ready for his kingdom that's what it means to be holy and that's what a saint is but a saint is also a righteous person The saint is also a righteous person. The word righteous simply means to be right with God. We do not use righteous in a secular sense, unless, of course, you're listening to the righteous brothers on, you know, the radio or something like that. But even the person who said, man, that's righteous, didn't know what he was talking about when he named those guys the righteous brothers. To be righteous means to be right with God. To be right with God. And I stress that. I emphasize that, my friends. And I'll speak to that in just a moment. And as I stated a while ago about holiness, there is an internal and an external aspect to righteousness. Just like there was to holiness and just like there will be to faithfulness when we get to that in just a moment. Internally, to be righteous is to have moral character. It is to have moral character. But understand this, friends, it is not the morality of the world. It is not what the world says is moral. It is what God says is moral. And what has God said about morality? Well, you go back to Exodus, you go to Deuteronomy, and there you'll find the Ten Commandments. That is God's moral law. Now when the Apostle Paul, and I don't want to get off on this for any length of time, but when the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans talks about us not being under the law, but we are under grace. What the Apostle Paul was talking about was we are free from the ceremonial law, we are free from the civil law of Moses, but we're not free from the moral law. God gave the Hebrew people the civil law that they might be separated from all of the other civilians that they would be living among. He gave them the ceremonial law that they might be free to worship God in a different manner than all of the other peoples of the earth might worship their gods. And we're free from that. Those are no longer binding upon you or upon me. But the moral law, the moral law of God has preceded the ceremonial law of Israel has preceded the civil law of Israel because the moral law of God is who God is. It is a reflection of the holiness and the righteousness of God himself. And so we are not free from the moral law of God when God said thou shalt not kill he meant it for all time not just for the Jews under the ancient dispensation he means that for you and me today you will not take the life of another individual in a manner that is not befitting the purposes of God and when he says thou shalt not steal He means that not only from those of the Old Testament, not only from those in the first century church, but for you and for me. Stealing is against God's moral law. It's because it's against God himself. Taking what does not belong to you is against the law of love. I could go on and on about that, but I hope you get the point. We are to have moral character. But we're also to have moral conduct. But let me just reflect a moment again on this moral character. It is the moral character of God in you that makes you acceptable to God. It is His moral character in you that makes you acceptable to Him. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. In verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. A child of God, a Christian, a true Christian, a saint is someone who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, to be right with God. Righteousness is the longing of the person's heart. It is the longing of his mind and his spirit, if he is indeed a true Christian. There is a passion in the life of the individual to be right with God. That's why when you sin against God, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit is then applied into your life. And if you genuinely are a Christian, that convicting power of the Holy Spirit will drive you to your knees before the Lord God that you might confess that sin and once again be cleansed of that sin. That is the moral consciousness of God in you, at work in you. And only a Christian has that. Only a Christian will bow before the Lord God and say before the Lord God, I have sinned against you, please Lord God. Cleanse me once again. That desire cannot be generated in the consciousness of a person who does not know God. Who has no relationship with God. It can only be generated by the Holy Spirit who lives within the believer. Within the saint. But again, there is also an external component to righteousness. And that is to do what is right before God internally to be right with God as, as, as I am inside my character, my values, my thoughts, my dreams, my goals, my aspirations, my desires, my emotions, to be right with God. But externally it is to do what is right before God. People today, and you know this to be true, if you haven't been asleep for the last several months. People today want to do what's right in their own eyes. Have you noticed that lately? Hello? Have I put you to sleep already? People want to do what is right in their own eyes. They want to do what is right in the eyes of their peers. They want to be acceptable to others, they want to be a part of the mainstream, they want to be conformed to the same behaviors, the same attitudes, the same drives of their friends and their neighbors or the groups that they hang around with, but this is unacceptable to God. It is unacceptable to God. It may be acceptable to some in Washington. It may be acceptable to some in Sacramento. It may be acceptable to some political parties. It may be acceptable to things in Wall Street, but it is not acceptable to God. It is not acceptable to God. People may want to do what is right before others, but righteousness is to do what is right before God and that should always be the pursuit of the Christian always to be the pursuit of the saint, the one who has been separated from the world and unto God following the things that God would have that person to do. External righteousness proceeds from a heart that is right with God. If you are right with God morally in your character then you will seek to do what is right before God in your conduct. Romans chapter 4 verse 9. Does blessedness come upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. We'll get to that matter of faith here in just a moment. In 1 Corinthians 15 verses 33 and 34. Do not be deceived, the apostle Paul writes. Evil company corrupts good habits. Moms and dads, listen. Listen if you want your children to understand a moral principle that God has established this is it keeping company with bad people is not going to make you good and if you allow your children to be in the company of evil people, then you should not be surprised that your children will turn out to be corrupt. Do you hear me? Say yes. I've counseled far too long far too many families who come and cry to me weeping over the, the conduct and the character and the attitudes of their children and why they were not able to steer their children down the right path and to keep their children protected from the things of the world until I start exploring who those kids hang around with and who those children the parents allow to be in the company of Evil company corrupts good habits. And you may very well say as a parent, well, I I don't think I have the right to tell my kids who they can associate and who they can't associate you with. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You have every right under the authority of God's word to protect your children from the wolves of the world. And if you do not do that, then you have no excuse before God. And you can blame no one but yourself for allowing your children to walk down the broad road that leads to destruction. You have that right. You have that authority. Evil company corrupts good habits. Paul writes and then he issues a command awake unto righteousness wake up to what is righteous what is right before God and do not sin for some do not have the knowledge of God I speak this to your shame in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 22 through 24 Put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you may put on the new man which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. True righteousness comes from a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. This sets the heart and the mind and the spirit right with God which in turn sets the life of works and service right before God. You say, but I can't do this. And you're right, you can't do it in the flesh. No one can we must be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ I want you to turn to Romans chapter 4 and verse 20 Romans 4 verses 20 through 25 the Apostle Paul uses Abraham as an example for us and I want us just to stay here at Romans for the rest of the sermon Romans chapter 4 verses 20 through 25 Romans 4, verses 20 through 25. He, speaking of Abraham, did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was also able to perform. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised for our justification. I want you to note the word or the words accounted to him, and the word imputed to him. Abraham was not righteous in and of himself. Abraham believed God, Abraham obeyed God, and God made him righteous. It was accounted to him for righteousness. You see that? And the Apostle Paul also says here, now it was not written for his sake alone, that it was imputed, that means it was given to him, it was placed in him, God granted that to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us. What? The righteousness of God will be given to us. We cannot create it on our own. We cannot do righteous things in the flesh. It is only God who can give to us the righteousness that is necessary for us to be righteous before him. And that's what makes us righteous to be right with God God not only shows us how to be right with him but he also makes us right with him through his son Jesus Christ now the third the third reality and I know time has gone but just hang with me for a minute the third reality of what a Christian really is and what a saint really is and that is a saint is a faithful person a person of faith. And understand again, there is an ex- internal aspect and there is an external aspect to faith. You're in Romans chapter 4. Look at it again. Speaking of Abraham, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced Being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. What is the internal aspect of faith? It is to trust in God. It is to believe what God says. It is to hold to the word of the Lord. And then he goes on to say, And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to Him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in Him. Faith is taking God at His Word. It is believing the Word of God. It is trusting in all that God has said. And beloved, this is where we stray. the path of faith. This is where we stray from the path of faith. When we believe what others say about God or the modifications that they make with what God has said. This is where we go down the path that leads us to the edge of the cliff. Let me give you just a couple of pointers here Scripture interprets scripture. Understand that. Scripture interprets scripture. God is going to lay down His law. He's going to lay down His principles. He's going to lay down His truths multiple times in scripture. God rarely ever says anything once. He will say it again and again and again. He'll say it in a direct word to an individual. He will say it in the life of another individual, an example of another individual. He will say it through circumstances and situations. God will repeat himself over and over and over again those spiritual truths that we need to understand. Why? Because we're humans and we're thick-headed and we're hard-hearted. But God is loving, God is patient, God is kind toward us. And because he understands our frame, he understands that we don't get it right the first time or the second time or even the third or fourth or fifth time. He will continue to repeat himself through scripture. So it is important for us to have the whole counsel of God in front of us as we study the New Testament, as we study the Gospels, as we study the letters we need to also be conversant in the Old Testament because what God says in the Old Testament, He says in the New Testament He just says it a different way Scripture interprets Scripture. The Holy Spirit who inspired the writing of God's Word will also interpret God's Word to our understanding and will give us discernment To rightly divide the word of truth. When you read the word of God, understand you're not reading it by yourself. If you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living within you. And the Holy Spirit is going to open your eyes and your ears and your understanding to what he has inspired others to write. I read a lot of books, and most of you know that. I read a lot of books, I read commentaries, I read dictionaries, I read articles on theology and pastoral ministry on this that and the other and some have asked me well how do you know that what you're reading is true? you know I've got you know I must have 15-20 books on the Gospel of John, I must have at least 20 books on the book of the Revelation I'm you know I've got multiple books on multiple subjects and they're all different to a certain degree how do I know what I'm reading is truth? it's because I depend upon the Holy Spirit to open my eyes and my understanding to God's truth if in my study the words of the scholars and the pastors and the theologians do not ring true with the written written word of God I disregard it I set it aside. If it doesn't square with the Word of God, it doesn't square with me. God's Word is truth. Always has been, always will be. We believe His testimony to our blessing and to our benefit or we do not believe it to our detriment and to our loss. There's also an external aspect of faith and I'll close. The internal aspect is that we trust Him. We believe in Him. We believe His Word. What He says is what we do. My mother used to say God's Word. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. But there's an external aspect and that is our faithfulness. Now understand this dear friends. Faith is active. Faith is active. Faith is not something you can pull out of your pocket and say, I'm a person of faith and here it is. See this? No. Faithfulness literally means full of faith. When an individual is faithful, that individual is full of faith. That means faith has not only captured the person's heart, mind, soul, and spirit, but it has also captured his life. He lives a life of faith. He not only believes with his heart and his mind, but he believes with his life. His life demonstrates his belief. James chapter 2 verses 17 through 19. Faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith with my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and shake in fear now here listen here's where the rubber hits the road I, I, I couldn't if I had a dime for every individual who tells me I believe in God therefore I should consider them a Christian I'd be a millionaire believing in God does not make you a Christian Believing in God does not make you a saint. Believing in God does not make you a holy person. Believing in God does not make you anything in the kingdom of God. James says the demons believe in the existence of God and they shake in fear of God. You believe in God exists? Well good for you but it will not get you one step closer to who God is and what God has set aside for you as his creation a saint in Jesus Christ believes in all that God is in all that God has said in all that God has done and faithfully does all that God has called him equipped him, gifted him and compelled him to do How important is that? Jesus said it this way. In the Sermon on the Mount, as he was closing the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 21 through 23, on the day of judgment, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not preached in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawless ones. I used to think when I was younger, I used to think that when the Bible talks about lawless people, It was talking about people who go 60 miles an hour in a 55 mile an hour zone. I used to think that a lawless person was someone um, who, when it says uh, that uh, there is no fishing off of the bridge, uh, then a person who went to fish off the bridge was a lawless person. Well, you know, don't touch the wet paint. First thing you want to do, touch the wet paint. And in my mind as a child, that's what I thought the Bible meant when it says lawless. It's not what the Bible means. What the Bible means when it says that people are lawless, it means that they do not honor the principles, the truths, the precepts, the oracles, the truth of God. There's nothing wrong with preaching. There's nothing wrong with casting out demons. There's nothing wrong with working miracles. But notice what Jesus said. He said that they were lawless. Why? Because it wasn't what God wanted them to do. It wasn't what God gifted them to do. It wasn't what God called them to do. You may be a preacher, but did God call you to preach? Or were you mama called and papa sent? You may be a good teacher out in the public schools, in the universities, but as God called you to teach his people the truths of his word. To do God's will is what makes you a faithful person. And there will be, as Jesus said, multiplied millions of people who will stand before the judgment seat of God And they will say, but we did this, but we did that, but we be, but we, but we, but we, but we, And Jesus will say, hey, (laughs) only those who do the will of my Father will come into his kingdom. What you have done, you've done for yourself, you've done for others, you've done for some other motive, for some other purpose, but not according to the will of my Father. Get away from me. A saint is a holy person. A saint is a righteous person. A saint is a faithful person. This was Paul's joy as a saint in Jesus Christ. This was his joy for the Philippians who were saints in Jesus Christ. I pray that it is your joy as a saint in Jesus Christ as well. Stand with me, David's going to lead us in a song and we'll be dismissed.
1: David? And with me. Living for Jesus a life that is true striving to please him in all that glad-hearted and free. This is the pathway of blessing for me. O Jesus, Lord and Savior, I give myself My heart shall be thy throne. My life I give henceforth to live. O Christ, for thee alone.
0: I pray that is your prayer in Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, The Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.